Welcome to Parenting in the Trenches. I'm Karen Peters, a registered clinical counselor, and I'm a mom. We're getting real about all things family from a mental health perspective. So let's get to it. So welcome back for season four, episode two. And today we are talking again with Rita Gern, who is a perinatal mental health clinician. And she's a colleague of mine who specializes in this area. And I'm excited to have her back because last time we talked a bit about um, birth trauma and kept it contained to that topic. But we realized halfway our discussion that it would probably be really valuable to talk a bit about um, post birth mental health. So what happens for moms and what we're at risk of um, post birth. So I'm just going to um, name this as postpartum depression and anxiety, but I do know that we can allude to other mental health conditions that can happen for people afterwards and how to go about identifying the risks and what we can do to mitigate those. So welcome back, Rita. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Let's start off talking about new parents and what they should watch for, just the signs and the symptoms so that they know if there's a possibility of postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety emerging. Sure. And I think um, the difficult part about postpartum mood and anxiety disorders is that so much of the postpartum period, you're going to go through the ups and downs that will look like a mood or anxiety disorder, but they're impacted by the postpartum period. So for example, we all hear like you're a new parent, get your sleep before you, while you can. Um, sleep is a huge component. So some of the signs and symptoms that you're going to be looking at um, specifically for mood and anxiety is that you're going to feel an overwhelming sense of sadness. Um, you'll cry, uh, not knowing why you're crying, not being able to stop crying. You may have no appetite or an increase in appetite. Um, you may be exhausted, uh, yet you can't sleep or you it's really difficult for you to wake. Um, and the biggest thing in terms of depression that we look at is that you can't find joy or pleasure in things that you used to. Um, the other, th other components of both depression and anxiety is that there's this constant worry, which also coincides with just being a brand new parent, whether it's your first or you're a seasoned parent, it comes with a lot of worry and a lot of change and a lot of introduction of you as a parent to your child. Um, and, uh, when we're looking at the disorders that are related to this time frame, you may often feel like something bad is going to happen. Uh, when we look at anxiety, you may have racing thoughts like, what if, what if, what if? You may have those panic attacks where you feel that heaviness in your chest, the difficulty to breathe, the racing thoughts. You may not be able to sit still. Um, you may have feelings of loneliness and isolation. And again, that's a part of parenthood is a time of yeah. loneliness and isolation. You're redefining who you are and you're kind of stuck with this baby trying to figure out a routine and schedule and whatever challenges and joys that come with that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, 
And you may feel scared to leave your home because it can be overwhelming. Like, what do I take? What do I not take? And if there's, you know, any other extenuating circumstances, if you had a bit of a longer stay in the hospital or if things didn't go as you had hoped to, there's higher rates that you would have postpartum um, depression or anxiety. You may feel irritated and angry. With, um, and sometimes, uh, you know, the phrases of postpartum rage or um, postpartum anger um, have been quite uh, prevalent in, in various social media recently because we're realizing that the rage and anger is actually just a symptom of your unmet needs and may likely be related to either postpartum depression or anxiety. You may have limited patience, so everything annoys you. <clears throat> you feel resentment towards um, the other parent or your partner or your friends who don't have kids because your life is so consumed by this, plus the worry, plus the anxiety. You may have um, a difficult time focusing, concentrating, or with your memory. Um, <clears throat> you may feel overwhelmed, and there may be a lack of connection that you're feeling with your baby your other children, there may be an increased lack of connect or an increased connection. Um, and you may find that you're feeling a bit resentful towards your partner. You may be questioning whether you should have had another child. And like I said, some of this is a normal transition and developmental phase as you have children. You'll ask yourself these questions. You may look back at your life pre-kids and wonder, um, and maybe romanticize it a little bit of what it was like because it's so hard in the moment now. When uh, your mood or your anxiety become um, very impactful where it's impacting your ability to function during the day, where it's impacting your ability to connect with your child um, and complete daily tasks for your care or the care of your child, that's when it becomes more of a disorder and where you should seek help. Okay, so what strikes me about what you're talking about is how you keep coming back to this continuum instead of it's an illness versus um, normal. Like the, that there are degrees in which people will feel these symptoms and there's some variation in how that package, that will be packaged. Like for some mm -hmm. people, they'll have high irritability and for other people, it's a lot of sadness. Mm -hmm. um, the rage piece strikes me because I hear a lot of parents so ashamed of feeling anger or urges to hurt and that this is so out of line with how they view themselves as a parent. And it's one of the last things that tends to come up in conversation because they're so worried about being perceived as a bad mom. And mm -hmm. clinicians, we understand this is just part of a package of a mental health condition, that when it gets to that level of safety and concern, um, we get that that's part of what's happening for them, but there's no shame that doesn't need to be shame attached to this. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I get why for anybody who has uh, depression and anxiety of any kind, when it gets to that level of just not having the ability to control urges or f having these overwhelming feelings of resentment and rage, that is really hard to live that way in isolation. So I'm glad you spoke to that. Mm -hmm. it, it bridges for me into my next question because I think that's tied to, um, in part, this pressure that we have for the first few years of kids' development to really pour in 
all of ourselves to that attachment bonding piece. And when we don't feel like, like when there's a barrier to being able to do that, we feel like we're blaming ourselves, we're struggling through this, and then we just hide more, um, which puts everybody at more risk. So can you tell me how postpartum depression or anxiety can actually become something in the way of the bonding process, what that looks like? How does, how does it interfere? Yeah, absolutely. So um, just as you were saying that postpartum rage and anxiety, that shame, regardless of if it was in a perinatal period or not, there is so much stigma surrounding mental illness. Mm -hmm. Um, And that stigma impacts people from actually seeking treatment and help and even acknowledging it. And there's a lot of internal and external shame and guilt, as you said. So when it comes to bonding, if you're a mom that it, or a caregiver and it's hard for you to get out of bed and you put the TV on and you kind of sit your baby down and you're just trying to get through moment by moment, you, one, you feel that guilt because you have this idea of what kind of mom you should have been and you yeah. see what kind of mom you are. And you're not meeting your own expectations or the expectations of others. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that interrupts the bonding, that interrupts the attachment. And I'm not saying when you're a parent, you need to be on the floor with your kids and have right. that eye contact and all these shoulds, as you yeah. said. Um, but what I'm saying is that there isn't that devoted time. You're resenting the things that you have to do for basic care and necessities for the, right. for the child. So whether that's feeding, bathing, putting them to sleep, that irritation of the sleep cycles and the sleep regressions, that is that much more amplified. Mm-hmm. And with your, with, um, when we look at things like postpartum anger, it is immediately followed by guilt, regret, and yeah. shame. And so it's that, how can I kind of interrupt that cycle and this snowball effect so you can have a moment of pause so you can respond versus react. And so, you know, as you say, there's that spectrum. That's where people uh, such as ourselves and other caregivers can step in and say, look, this can be different and you can attach. And the biggest thing that I will hear and research has shown is that when parents get out of this fog and out of this the spectrum of mental illness uh, that's related to perinatal, their biggest regret will be for the time that's lost. Mm-hmm. So if there's any takeaway from this podcast, I would like I would say I'd encourage you have the conversation. You're not the only one going through this. Yeah, the reality absolutely. of parenthood is hard. The yeah. reality of parenthood during a pandemic is that much more difficult. You don't have those supports. So as much as parenting is isolating, well, throw in a pandemic and it's that no, much don't. more isolating, right? Yeah. You don't have those mommy groups. You don't have the support groups. You're your check-in appointments with your midwife or your doctor are most likely via telehealth versus mm. in person. So um, I think that, and and anything that happens within that first year, you know, like if you're worried about the attachment or bond, that's all repairable. 
Yeah. As long as you are willing to seek help and focus on yourself. That whole uh, analogy that you can't pour from an empty cup Mm -hmm. is very, very true. If you are the primary caregiver of this child and you are on empty, you have nothing more to give. Yeah. That's such a good reminder. I think for anyone who's experiencing shame, the risk, the highest risk around that is the isolation piece in reaction Mm -hmm. to it, right? Is if we dive deeper into the hole and we cover ourselves up Um, Mm -hmm. and that's where the risk grows rather than when we dare to reach out and we have the courage Mm -hmm. to talk with somebody and name what we're feeling. And I also Mm -hmm. think because it's on a continuum, a lot of people in the gray area will question, is it bad enough for me to reach out for help? right? Mm -hmm. And that I always say, well, how does it feel to you? Because really, at the end of Mm -hmm. it, that is where it matters. If you're distressed by what's happening, then it's something to reach out for. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a clinically diagnosed line in the sand that you've crossed, right? It's, it's, if you're bothered, annoyed, struggling, questioning something, resentment is growing, those are not emotions that you Mm -hmm. should just pretend aren't there. Right. So Mm -hmm. I always encourage people to think about what would be the harm. Right. Mm -hmm. It's always better to over connect than it is to under connect, because at least at the very least you might find out, oh, it is normal. You can breathe a sigh of relief. But if you're feeling like, am I going nuts here? Like what's happening? Then ask Mm -hmm. ask somebody. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, that's the one thing, like you, I always say, if you're questioning, should I talk to my doctor about this or my provider or a counselor, yeah. why not have the conversation? Right. And what you'll find is there's so much of a release of the mm-hmm. mental load, of the emotional load by having that conversation and realizing yeah. that you're not alone. Yeah. Um, you know, more and more doctors are um, screening for postpartum depression and anxiety oh, at the six-week check-in. Okay. Um, the challenge is they don't know what to do when they have a positive score. Where do we send uh-huh. individuals? As well as with the pandemic, sometimes there's concerns with resources for parents. Yeah. Are they able to? So there are several free services, and they're part of the show notes as well. Um, you know, I think it's it's. Uh, a lot of things that we do as parents, we do them with a bit of doubt because we're not sure if we're doing it right. Mm-hmm. And then the moment we kind of open up the floodgates and even in our very small circle, we'll realize people are having very similar experiences in their own home. And that in itself will provide you a sense of comfort. Um, the other thing is that, you know, when there isn't this attachment and bonding happening with Um, the child, there's also that resentment that's growing within the relationship as well. That's a key component Mm. to look at. Marriage has their ups and downs, ebbs and flows, but research has shown the first three years after having a child is one of the most difficult times during a marriage because there's so much change, because you're being asked on in different ways and your relationship sometimes takes the backseat and sometimes your relationship becomes... Um, you know, uh, the punching bag 
and so that's also where you'll see where the postpartum uh, anger or rage will come out, where it will be uh, towards the partner who is leaving the home, who is able to have to go to work and maybe have some more other uh, isn't provide isn't nursing or providing the primary care. Um, and so that's another red flag. Like if you're seeing that things are changing um, within your relationship dynamic and it's escalating or it's snowballing, that's another place where, you know, as parents, you can say, hey, what's going on here? Just asking the question yeah. and normalizing, like, I can see that what you're doing is a lot and I can see that it's tough. Like you're not getting sleep. You don't have a break. You're, this child is attached to you. And that, that is part of the initial phases. But there are ways that you can relieve that stress. Mm. Yeah. So I'm just trying to imagine this <clears throat> couplehood relationship, right? Mm -hmm. In the midst of what can feel like short fuses, blaming stances, um, frustration venting at one another. And mm -hmm. how do we, when we're already ourselves quite depleted and struggling with the change, not take these things personally? Because I'm hearing that that's really important. Mm -hmm. I would imagine mm -hmm. if I'm going to be there and supportive, I'd have to almost hold space for, okay, that's their lived experience. I have to honor it mm -hmm. and support it, not just take it personally. Like, okay, I feel mm -hmm. like I'm being lashed out at, but I have to see the bigger picture here, right? Mm -hmm. The lashing is happening because I'm here. And nobody else is. Mm -hmm. And because it's safe to do that with me. And because mm -hmm. this is an empty cup in front of me. Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm so my solution is not to blame back or to minimize, but it's to pour into the cup. Like, how yes. do I? So, how would a partner, what can a partner practically do to actually, beyond the validation piece, mm -hmm. if they see signs of postpartum depression, anxiety, or any other mental health concern that they, feel like oh this is this feels dangerous to me or mm -hmm. concerning to me what should they what steps do you take as a partner trying to support that person I think as a partner um you know sometimes there isn't that language or maybe we're not aware of what 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 do we call this we know yeah. something's not working but what's the label we're going to put on it uh -huh. and I would just say you know what there's no need for a label to put on it but it something's not working so as a partner you know how can you become more involved how can you maybe take some of the load so if you're working Monday to Friday and it's hard for you to do nights well are you up till later on in the evening like we all have been watching Netflix like is that where you mm -hmm. can say you know what I would love to spend time with you, but I think you need to get some uninterrupted sleep. I will watch the baby or I will do bedtime or I can do bath time. Mm -hmm. Things that you can do that will help relieve that load on mom. Sleep is one of the biggest components that if you have any pre-existing mental illness, when you are in the perinatal phase, if you're not getting enough sleep, the risk of you having a reoccurrence is that much higher. Yeah. So I'd say, how can you help with um, providing more opportunities to sleep? Okay. Uh, the other suggestion I'd say, like just even the daily tasks, you know, we mm -hmm. feel like we should do everything and need to be doing everything because there's this expectation we're at home 
And if, you know, dishes aren't done, this and that isn't done, people may question like, well, what have you been doing all day? Well, I'm caring for a living human being and trying to make sure I get through it as well, right? So what are some of those other tangible things that can be taken care of? So whether that's meal prep, planning for meals, um, if you're leaving the home for work, making sure that there are snacks and meals during the day because it's really hard for the primary caregiver to make the time to uh, take the time to make something for themselves. So whether that's, and try to have something that's nutritious as well, Mm -hmm. um, just to give them the energy boost that they're going to need to get through the day. So things like that can for sure, just those actual tasks, take tasks off their plate, but -hmm. also create space where the primary parent can leave the house on their own without the expectation. Like if there's an emergency, I'm going to call you. Like, no, you can go out for an hour or two hours and we will be fine. We will figure this out. Reassure. Reassure. Reassure that, you know, as the secondary parent, you're not a babysitter. You are actively involved and engaged. Um, Inform yourself on what the routines are so that you can pick up. And that's not another stress for the primary parent to say, if I was to leave, do they know how to do bath time? Do they know how I put... this little guy to sleep and what's stuffy and the swaddle and all of this, you know, all those questions that come up. So be involved as you can, but also another key takeaway, if there's a second one that I'd say is for this, the supporting parent, Mm -hmm. um, also be aware and acknowledge your needs and your mental health. Um, because the research is very heteronormative, but one in 10, um, fathers will also have postpartum depression or anxiety. Mm -hmm. The uh, highest risk factor for a father or partner um, having a perinatal mental illness is if their partner has undiagnosed, untreated mental illness. So if if primary parent is struggling, you got to believe that the the secondary parent is struggling and it becomes, and it becomes a family issue, right? Then there's the, the lack of attachment and And it just becomes this doggy pile of crap (laughs) that you need to sift through. Um, And I think that, uh, you know, there was a new research study that actually just came out this month and it was on the news. And they said the rates of perinatal mood and anxiety disorder previously was seen at 21%. But within Canada during the pandemic, it's actually at 35%. Oh, wow. Yeah. 35 35. So we already knew that the research was underreported. Sorry, the rates were underreported. And we continue to know that research has its limitations. And when it comes to mental illness, the rates are usually underreported. So the fact that there's almost a 15% increase because of a pandemic. That's huge. It's huge. So families are struggling more now than they ever have before. And um, most of our conversation has been talking about new parents, but there are those who have second, third, fourth children. And so that struggle and that juggling act of whether your kids are going to school or whether you've decided to homeschool them given the Mm -hmm. pandemic or your personal reasons. So there's a lot on your plate. Um, Help coming into the home is somewhat limited because of the restrictions with the pandemic. So, you know, removing the shoulds and the nice to haves and let's just survive. So get back to the basics. What do we need to survive as a couple and as individuals and as a family and work your way up of what feels 
good for you as a family and what what feels manageable. Yeah. You don't have to be that Instagram, Pinterest, mom, dad, oh have matching out, you know, Doesn't like exist. it's hard enough. No. It does not exist. <laughs> so um, I think, uh, I think the thing is that um, it, I believe it's, uh, I can't remember who the researcher is, but they talk about um, the state of the union address. And I'm sure you're familiar mm-hmm. with this, Karen. Mm-hmm. So with parents having that check-in time, where it's a scheduled check-in time, you know, yeah. um, of course things may come up, but where you're going to make that a priority to check in with one another about how each of you are doing as individuals, not parents, but as individuals yeah. and how you were doing as a couple and then kind of move down how you're doing as parents and talk about what's been working really well and support and encourage each other. Talk about what needs to change mm-hmm. and talk about, what you would like to do differently for the following week and how you can support one another. The we, proactivity is so huge, right? The more yeah. proactive, like don't wait till crap hits the fan yeah. to address it is always the better way to go is to be proactive, proactive build yeah. in, even if it's just 10 minutes a mm-hmm. day at every eight o'clock, every night, we have mm-hmm. 10 minutes where we look each other in the eye and mm-hmm. we just, just touch base, right? Like, yeah rate your day, tell me what I can do. Mm-hmm. And this is what I need from you. Mm-hmm. And right, having those basic questions daily, sometimes mm-hmm. you might run up dry, which is a lovely experience, like actually yeah. things are fine, right? Which yeah. is, when do you get that you don't because you don't address it until there's a big problem. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, and you know, things like having a shared calendar can be really mm. helpful. Mm-hmm. Shared calendar, knowing that, you know, I'm going to work late tonight or I got to go into work early or I want to go for a walk with my friends and I don't want to take the kids with me. Yeah. <laughs> Normal conversations I have in my house. Yeah. So having a shared calendar has been really beneficial for a lot of yeah. parents um, because when you don't have kids, you aren't dependent on one another in the same way because you are more than capable of doing things without worrying about the house and the kids and the feeding and this and that, right? You're yeah. two fully functioning adults. Yeah. And then you throw kids in there and there are these dependents and you are responsible. And for some, um, and I'm just going to say for some women who take on that primary role mm-hmm. mainly, they feel the weight of the world. Yeah. They feel these expectations and, you know, there are these expectations that you can have it all. And mm-hmm. there are these expectations that I don't need any help, that I am, you know, yeah. self-made, boss babe, all these yeah, yeah. key terms that are out there. So when it comes to kids, you think, yeah, well, why can't I do it? Because I've been successful and capable in all these other areas of yes. my life. This is a different piece. To all in yeah. its own. And there's... um this term that was coined and it's called matricence. And what it means is it's the psychological birth of a mother, like adolescence. It is Mm -hmm. a time of hormonal fluctuation, body morphing and identity shifting. Yeah. And when I saw that, I was like, yeah, why don't most people talk about this? (laughs) How big that is. Yeah. It's like any other developmental change yet the care, the uh, consideration, it, it just, there's an expectation. And even mm. as 
a mom myself. Like I, I, I thought I could power through this. Mm -hmm. I can do this. I've done hard things. You know, um, I'm the mom I should be able to. And it's, uh, there's a lot of courage in your vulnerability and there's a lot of strength in asking for help and, um, whatever that may look like for you and what it can look like during a pandemic or within the dynamic of your family, I would say, ask, have the conversation Mm -hmm. and, and you don't have to give the headline. I'm struggling. I don't want to talk about it, but I'm struggling. And this is what I need. Okay. What does treatment look like? for postpartum depression and anxiety. Can you run us just through what people could expect when they ask for help? Sure. So um, in a non-COVID world, (laughs) treatment might look a little bit different depending on where you are on that spectrum of the gray spectrum um, pre-diagnosis, just where you're having a lot of symptoms, but you're not meeting the diagnostic criteria. Mm -hmm. So talk to your doctor first and foremost. Um, and that doesn't mean I know that there's a lot of apprehension about medication and what that means mm-hmm. if I'm nursing or mm-hmm. if I'm postpartum. But speak to your doctor um, because medication may not be the first line of treatment, depending on w- what your unique situation is. Um, counseling and therapy have shown to have the same level of impact mm-hmm. as medication if you are di- if you are diagnosed with um, mild to moderate depression or anxiety. Okay. Exercise. And I know it's hard to get out of oh the bed. Lord. I don't want to exercise and I haven't given birth, but I just can't exactly. even imagine. But exercise doesn't have to be like, I'm going to the gym for an hour and a half. I'm it's running. Movement. It's movement. Move. Movement. Okay. Get your body moving. Get the blood flowing. Get the juices okay. going. Um, even if that is a 15 minutes to go and walk around the block. Yeah. If that is you know what, I'm going to vacuum, I'm going to do, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so have some form of movement. Have, you know, if you have other kids, I say kids love to be silly and dance and, you know, let's yeah. do gymnastics for 10 minutes and you're right. going to participate. Let's have a dance party. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, jump. Let's pretend to be horses, whatever it may be, whatever your kids, these are all yeah. things my kids are into. Yes. So, <laughs> do that. Yeah. And get some movement. Um, find supports. So whether that's within your trusted circle, whether that's through social media, um, you can find online virtual support groups. There may be, depending on where you live, there may be in-person virtual support, or mm-hmm. sorry, in-person support groups. Um, and like I said, share um, talking about that shared experience, normalizing it, there's a lot of healing in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is beneficial. Um, and you know what, there is no shame in being on medication. And there is there are a lot of medications that are quite fine for you to be on and um, have no risk identified if you are nursing. Okay. But have those conversations. Um, with the disclaimer that many uh, family doctors don't have the same amount of information about mm-hmm. medication during pregnancy or the postpartum period. There are resources where you, uh, they can consult with um, a perinatal psychiatrist through Postpartum Support International, and they can talk to 
your physician or your prescribing physician about medication, the impact of medication, the risk factors, how long it will take for you to feel better, and what the kind of check-in process is. Because not every every medication doesn't work for yeah, uh, every individual, right. so there might be a trial and error process. And <clears throat> the other piece of it is is there, as we know, there's a lot of hormonal changes that happen, regardless of if you're the birthing parent or not. Research has shown that partners have hormonal changes, uh, adoptive parents have hormonal changes. Mm -hmm. So if you find that you're doing well, you've you've reached out for help, you've um, started medication or you've started some form of treatment with therapy or support group, when there are the, those fluctuations within your hormones, if you're nursing or not nursing and the, those changes happen, you will have a slump. So okay. not to scare anyone, but to, you know, empower people yeah. that there will be a slump and you will get past this. But this is just your body uh, going back yeah. into that rebalance, finding its new norm. Okay. Um, and I think knowledge is is power really when it comes to this because far too many people struggle in isolation because of the shoulds and the expectation. So the more you talk about it, the more you'll feel that others have also gone through it and you're not this anomaly and you're not failing. Um, And with help, this is temporary. With help, you will get better. Let's end on a very encouraging note because this Mm -hmm. is the piece where I feel like it's hard for people to step into the conversation because just naming it can feel so daunting. Mm -hmm. And then when we flesh it out and say like the realities of this and how dark this can feel and how deep it can get mm-hmm. that it it can feel hopeless like how long do I have to be stuck in this for and when you speak to the resources the possibilities and the information I do feel like it gives people the opportunity to self-identify some of these symptoms so I can name it for myself I can give mm-hmm. myself value and worthiness around this is my experience I'm uncomfortable something feels off I'm going to trust my gut I'm going to talk about it and with and then you've named who to go speak to and I think that's a really helpful piece and I and I want to end also by just notice noting that you are one of the most um, generous podcast interviewees (laughs) in terms of the resources you provide So I want every person who listens to this episode and to the last one to go read the show notes. When I listen to a podcast episode, even if I'm really interested in the topic, every once in a while, every once in a while, I get this um, like, okay, I've listened. That's good enough. But I don't go to the show notes. These are episodes people should go to the show notes for because the list is so long. So thank you for providing that um, because that has been huge. Thanks for spending time with me today. Remember to check out the show notes for related resources. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, or you can also subscribe to my online learning page at my.thrive-life forward slash LRL series, where you'll get updates, extra tools for your toolkit. And if there's a topic that you want me to cover in this podcast, please shoot me a message. I would love to hear from you. Shoulder to shoulder with you, knee deep in this mud. I will see you back here next time.